Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Now it's time for Inside the Clubhouse, a show dedicated to the Chicago baseball fan, featuring the best Chicago baseball conversation, as well as the big MLB topics, along with the biggest names, greatest guests, and listener interaction, starring score baseball insider Bruce Levine and half of Chicago's number one sports morning show, David Haw, on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, a radio.com Sports Station, presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Good Saturday morning, Chicago. Welcome inside the clubhouse right here on 670 The Score and your Odyssey mobile app. I'm David Haw, along with Bruce Levine, and we are broadcasting live from the Hyundai Score Studios. Hoping you enjoy this 4th of July weekend as we talk baseball from 9 to 11 after a day as enjoyable as any this season for both teams in town. Bruce, Friday was fireworks worthy. How are you? I'm doing great, David, and it's it is exciting. I can't remember too many Saturdays since the beginning of the season where both teams had won. And as a matter of fact, you have to look back. I don't I don't remember any. But again, uh, it's been so disappointing uh, on the south side for sure, and um, you know maybe a little bit on the north side as well. I, I don't think the uh, anybody expected the Cubs to be a uh, contender this year, but uh, Certainly, their play as of late has uh, picked up the uh, spirits of Cub Nation. Bruce, I was worried waking up this morning that you would not be able to find anything to complain about during this show, but I think that we will try. Well, I mean, my co-host. Exactly. Okay. There we go. (laughs) Two minutes into the show. So anyway, yeah, yesterday, I I think it actually is, it was one of the better days, Bruce, because let's look at what happened. If For those who didn't uh, stay up late, the White Sox won a game with Lurie Garcia getting the big hit. Two outs, two strikes, two on in the ninth. Lurie comes through. They win one to nothing over the Giants. Hours after the Cubs rally from a 4-0 de- deficit against the Red Sox, David Ross has won a World Series with both teams. He's in the man- dugout as the Cubs manager, as we know. They rally and hold on to beat the Red Sox 6-5. to five. Both teams, both fan bases go to bed feeling as encouraged by what they saw on a Friday as any night this season. I, I think you're right, David, and, and I'll, I'll give you my reason. I'd, I'd love to hear yours. Uh, what I've been preaching all along, and especially on uh, your show, Molly and Haw, you know, every, every weekday from uh, – well, the new hours are 5.30 till 10, aren't they? Yes, they are. Yeah. Um, we talk a lot about it, and, and I've been trying to get both of you down off of the ledge on the White Sox because I really believe in their pitching. 
And nothing says pitching, nothing says leadership, nothing says we're coming back toward what we were last year than watching a guy last night pitch uh, his best game since probably the first half of last year, and that's Lance Lynn. Um, Gutted it out. For the people that didn't stay up, as you said, David, uh, there was a scary moment in the fourth inning where it looked like he might have re-injured himself, his knee. He had to take about uh, two or three minutes to uh, walk around the mound, have the trainer come out and the Russa come out, finally go back there and gut it through uh, 104 pitches and six innings uh, after he had uh, a huge pitch count. I believe 29 pitches in the first inning alone. So to, to me, David... To me, David, it's only one game, but to me that that signals if you have him leading the staff again as the uh, veteran pitcher, uh, good things might be happening for the Southsiders. I think that was the tone that he left the mound with, Bruce. We we love seeing Lance Lynn celebrate and very demonstrative and as emotional and intense as any anybody I can recall. I mean, he, he's one of those guys that, that takes every start. Seriously, you're not getting cheated when Lance Lynn takes the mound. And when he left the mound, I think after the sixth, you knew that you knew that he had given the Sox all he could give them, and it was still a, a scoreless tie. And I just feel like there was a sort of a poetic justice uh, in Larry Garcia being at the plate. And look, I led, and Molly and I were, you know, up, up the next morning wondering why in the world Andrew Vaughn didn't pinch it for Lurie on Wednesday night, and, and boy, this, the injustice of that. And then here we are, the next game after a day off, Lurie Garcia is at the plate in a clutch moment, and he delivers. And that had to be very satisfying. And I hope that you're right. I hope that this is a launching point, Bruce, but it just feels like, okay, we've been at this point so many times before. Several games felt that way. I don't know if it is, but I think this, this is a chance for the Sox to come home Win a series in, in San Francisco, come home with momentum, because you're going to need it as the schedule toughens. And the mo- momentum will be uh, even greater if uh, they let, – let's say they win two out of three. Okay, we've already gotten one. You know, let's say they take two out of three. It's a tough place to win, and the Giants are a very good home team. But uh, they caught them at the right time. The Giants are three and seven in their last ten. But the momentum can continue to go because uh, Liam Hendricks is expected back on Monday. Okay, that is a huge part of the deal. Graveman's done a nice job of uh, picking him up here, but uh, nothing nothing says winning a division more than having your closer back uh, doing his thing and having your uh, ace veteran pitcher do what Lynn did yesterday. So again, the overstatement, it might sound that way to everybody right now from me, but I, I still believe in the White Sox pitching, and I believe that's that's what gets them back into contention there. Only three games really behind Minnesota in the loss column. So, uh, you know, there's there's a divergence of uh, different uh, uh, games played by the Indians, White Sox, and Twins. Uh, again, we're approaching the halfway point. Yep. Uh, I, I, I just think that pitching is always going to be king. The offense should come around. It might not be anything like we thought it was going to be. But, uh, you know, again, games like uh, yesterday are, are certainly uh, something to lean on. And just to close the loop on your pitching point, Bruce, after Lance Lynn walked off after giving them six strong innings, uh, we saw Joe Kelly, we saw Tanner Banks, and then you mentioned Kendall Graveman. He got the save. 
the the Giants did not get a hit off of any of those three relievers in the final three innings, and Graveman gets a save, and it is welcome news that Liam Hendricks was encouraging before the game, had to give everybody a boost. He's coming back. July 4th, he's set to be activated. There will be no rehab stint in Charlotte. There will be no minor league assignment. He's going to come back and help the big team after throwing a simulated game yesterday in San Francisco. He faced five batters, 18 pitches. He said everything felt good, and that's encouraging for the White Sox, Bruce, because I said it when he went on the injured list, and I know there's other guys that they miss, but if you couldn't do what you want to do if you're the White Sox without Liam Hendricks, he was my number one concern, so that was welcome news. Yeah, I mean, you know, you make the argument, and I think you can make a strong one, that he's been the best closer in baseball consistency-wise for the last, what, three or four years. So... From that perspective, and just a swagger, you know, with Anderson's legs coming back under him, a big deal. Robert's legs coming back under him, a big deal. And now uh, Hendricks and uh, and uh, Lance Lynn being able to come back and be who they are. That's that's the White Sox team of last year. That's what uh, got them going, especially. I mean, Robert didn't show up until July last year, but, uh, you know, Having him out there, being able to do what he does, Anderson back to being able to do the uh, swagger things that he does on a daily basis. That's Chicago White Sox baseball. I think that I want to point this out before we move on to the Cubs. The hit from Lurie Garcia, huge in the ninth inning. Adam Hazley, we pick apart every move that is made and every decision Tony La Russa makes. Got to give him credit here. Pinch runner comes in. And he scores from second with a slide that, as Steve Stone would say, all you youngsters out there would want to watch to see the way that he slid to elude the tag and he he touched uh, home plate with his hand to score what would turn out to be the winning run. Smart base running, and when they do run the bases that way and they don't get picked off, and we aren't wondering what they were thinking and where their concentration level was, Bruce, have to give credit where it's due. Adam Hazley, tremendous slide for the game-winning run. You know, uh, David's comment uh, sponsored by Prevagen for Tony LaRusso's good move. Uh, <laughs> thank, thank you very much, David. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's good that, you know, you point out something positive about LaRusso. It's been, he's been on the, in the dunk tank uh, so much this year. You know, you think, you know, th- that they would have a permanent one outside uh, – you know, guaranteed rate for might be a sponsorship opportunity if Brooks Boyer is listening. I might might want to do that and consider a good use of your pregame time if you're Tony and the White Sox. Bruce, speaking of positives, the Cubs they were down four nothing. The Red Sox are in town. The Red Sox just capped off a tremendous month of June, so they come in hot. And the Cubs also hot, having won two series. I think the the, the Cardinal series was impressive. The Reds, you should beat the Reds, even if you are having a season the Cubs are having. But the Red Sox come to town. You fall behind. Would have been easy to just kind of pack it in and say, okay, where are our dinner reservations? The Cubs did not. They come clung back. And I think that when you look at how things finished up, you're David Ross. You're sitting there as a manager. Things are very difficult ahead with the rebuild. And you, you see the Red Sox in the other dugout. That's got to be a satisfying of a victory, the 6-5 win for the Cubs. I don't want to overstate it, but it, these are regular season victories. He hasn't had a ton of things to be happy about lately, Bruce. I wonder if he has had many more satisfying victories than yesterday's. I think the last two, David, you know, uh, I always talk about defense, defensive baseball and how key it is. 
And the last two games with great throws by Morrell uh, the day before and yesterday by Ortega, a guy that was inserted in the middle of the game uh, as a pinch hitter and stayed in on defense. That, that's what gets managers excited. That's what gets me excited to watching a good baseball uh, anywhere, you know, where big throws, guys thrown out the plate, uh, turn games around. And that, that certainly happened yesterday and the day before for the Cubs. Uh, you know, it's fun to watch Morrell do what he's doing, making the adjustment, going five for five two days ago, big home run yesterday again. So uh, th- those, there's a lot of fun things to watch with the Cubs, and especially since, uh, since uh, the way they've been playing baseball, uh, playing the Cardinals really tough last weekend and then uh, moving on this week. Uh, I think there's uh, positive things for Cub fans to watch. Bruce, let me uh, point out one thing, one inning yesterday, which made me, got my attention, and it also led me to believe why Ross might look at yesterday as a very satisfying victory. You know, we talk all the time about recognizing high leverage moments and responding in a way that maybe managers back in the day didn't always respond. It's the fifth inning, and it's the bottom of the fifth, and the Cubs are threatening. And you, you look at that moment, they, they didn't have the lead yet, and it was still one of those things where Adrian Sampson you know, gives, gives up the four, but he, he's still battling, he's battling, he's keeping them in the game. And here comes an opportunity for Ortega to pinch it for Crook, the rookie. And David Ross takes advantage. He, then the next batter is Gomes, a veteran. We'll talk to Jan Gomes, by the way, at, uh, at 10.30 today. Looking forward to that conversation. But Alfonso Rivas is used as a pinch hitter. David Ross pinch hit twice in the fifth inning, Bruce, because he recognized that it might not get better than that to take advantage of the opportunity. I felt like, whether that was coming from above or just in his gut, that was a moment where David Ross, you checked the box, you said, okay, that's a great move by a manager to give himself the best chance to win this game today. Right, and, and, and I agree with you because – it's not about player development only. It's still about winning baseball games. And, uh, and, and that's, a, that's a box that people have to check when they see, well, you know, you got a rookie, you know, his second game um, uh, ever in, in, major, in the major leagues in Crook. Uh, you'd say, well, let's give the kid a chance to uh, shine here. No, uh, it's David Ross saying, no, let's give our team a chance to win this ball game against a very good team the Boston Red Sox. We might not get the chance at the end. Let's take let's take that moment right now, and it worked out. I don't think you might find other players who have had better weeks than Chris Morrell, but I don't know if he'll get the National League Player of the Week. But it's hard to imagine somebody responding to a slump the way that he has. He had the big defensive play on Wednesday night, five hits on Thursday, and then another big day yesterday with three three more runs batted in. Bruce, the Cubs have won four out of five, and yesterday they had four rookies in the starting lineup, and a fifth, Brandon Hughes, got his first major league victory. So they are definitely embracing this rebuild. They are using youth, and it is being served. I I don't know if this is sustainable, but you have to feel pretty good if you're the Cubs. Looking at this team, you have some veterans individually that are having very strong seasons, and you have some rookies and young players that are beginning to show glimpses that you need to see. It's uh, how long can they make this last? 312-644-6767. That's the number to get in with David and myself as we talk baseball with you Chicago style from 9 to 11 every Saturday, 52 weeks out of the year. David, uh, 
we have some people interested in talking to you at least. I don't know about me. I think you too, Bruce. And the score listener line is powered by BetQL. Bet smarter, beat the books. Download the BetQL app today or visit BetQL.com. And that's where we find Otto in Brookfield. Good morning, Otto. Good morning, gentlemen. I always want to talk to you guys. Bruce, I love talking to you. As a matter of fact, I had a question. I was hoping you, uh, you could help me out with something. Uh, I remember a couple weeks ago, uh, Bruce, might have been longer a couple weeks, you were talking about the Cubs having a number of question marks, and I think someone called in saying that those question marks turned into losses, and I think that's what happened. But that's not why I'm calling. I'm curious to know, during this uh, rebuild that uh, we're not supposed to say, I'm curious, who was it in the Cubs organization, as it was reported on the score, who was it in the Cubs organization that said we need to trade you, Darvish, and all what the heck, throwing Victor Caratini, too, for uh, back days and a bunch of magic beans, and then not pay any of Darvish's salary? Uh, That's question number one. Who in the Cubs organization demanded that? And two, why is Jason Hayward still on the team it's a sunk cost for the guy's salary. He's taking away uh, valuable playing time for younger players. I'll hang up and answer uh, and listen to your answer. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks, Otto. Bruce, I'll let you take a stab at it. The first question is kind of retreading old ground, but as for Hayward? Well, hey, you know, Hayward's been mostly a hurt player over the last couple of years. Uh, the end of last year, he was hurt. Um, this year, a couple injuries in COVID, and uh, it's – you know, frankly, it's hard for me to watch um, this really fine player, this great individual struggle to play baseball these days, okay? It doesn't look like fun for him. It's not fun for the fan base. It's not fun as a reporter and as a guy that admires uh, a Hayward to watch him play because he, he's just a, a, a mere shadow of what he was in the past, Um I don't know this latest knee injury, how severe it is, whether he's going to have to have surgery on it or not. But um, you do wonder, David, if we have seen uh, the last days of uh, a a really proud and important player for the Chicago Cubs, regardless of whether he lived up to people's expectations of the $22 million a year for eight years. Bruce, I I don't think there's an easier professional athlete in Chicago to respect than Jason Hayward because of his off-the-field efforts. He's, he's active in the community, and Marquee Sports Network had a great uh, story the other day just about everything that is going on with, as, he, as he builds and constructs his baseball academy, and that is to be respected and admired. I, I do wonder what role those intangibles play in him still being on the roster, and I think that it's difficult to cut ties with somebody as important as he has been to your organization and continues to be in, in the city of Chicago. Uh, it's going to be a difficult decision, but you're right. I think that we have seen at the beginning of the end of, of the Jason Hayward uh, tenure with the Cubs and perhaps uh, him at his best. I don't know what role he plays when everybody gets healthy, say a Suzuki down at Iowa doing good things, and they're going to have a very difficult decision once he becomes ready to uh, to return to the Cubs. Yeah, I mean, look, if Hap's not traded, and we're going to talk about trades in the Cubs and White Sox uh, in our next segments, but, um, you know, again, your, your outfield is, is Hap, it's Morrell, uh, it's uh, Suzuki. That That's your, that's your everyday outfield. Um, you know, against right-handers, you'd be tempted to put Hayward in. Um, 
if Morrell moves to uh, another position, depending on when Madrigal comes back. He played in second base the other day. Um, you know, again, tough decisions. Uh, but again, uh, bottom line is it, it's not an old-timers game, even though it, at 33, um, he, he's not an old man. The body is just starting to show that uh, it's, it's not the same player that we were watching for a long time. Let's squeeze in Paul from Valparaiso. Good morning, Paul. Welcome inside the clubhouse. Hey, good morning, fellas. Uh, yeah, was, uh, I know you guys have talked quite a bit about Ross and uh, you know, kind of the comparison that LaRusso getting nitpicked on everything and Ross maybe getting a pass, but I think you talked about it there, David, with yesterday. You know, those, those big moves kind of going for it, and, you know, even though they're 15 games under 500, also throw Tommy Hadaby in there. I mean, you so much talk about injuries across Major League Baseball, but, I mean, the Cubs have three Major League veteran pitchers that have been out pretty much the whole year, and Stroman, who you gave $81 million to, Smiley, Miley. Miley coming off a year where he was, uh, you know, almost a sub-three or at a three ERA, and you're expecting some things from him, and he's been out. You know, the Hoyer goes out. Madrigal has been bad, but he's been injured. You know, a guy that you were relying on. Suzuki's been out. You know what I mean? So, and they continue to develop guys. Yeah, now, are these huge, huge pieces? No, but I think they're pieces. A guy like Wisdom has continued to show that he's a major league player. He plays good at their base, except for the error yesterday. And some different things. And I, I think you've got to attribute that to Ross and Hadovy and what they do with these guys on a day-to-day basis. You know, beyond just the, the X's and O's of, of pulling, you know, making moves like he did yesterday. But I think Ross has done a great job with, dealing with a ton of injuries just like every other team. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate the phone call. He makes some good points, Bruce. I think Tommy Hadovy, he takes the same approach with every pitcher, and they they have different maybe uh, plans for every pitcher, but you have the same mentality, and I think that is a reflection also of the way that David Ross leads. And, and uh, to be able to balance what we were talking about earlier, David, is the impressive part to me. Uh, the player development that's so necessary right now for this organization with the young players coming up and the will to win every day as well. It can't be lost. And, and that's, a, that's a real juggling act for a manager that um, had a division winner two years ago and now uh, is in a uh, rebuild mode with a lot of players coming and going every day. Uh, as the caller said, tremendous amount of injuries to the pitching staff and other main players. So from from, from all of that, uh, I, I think the second half can be a lot brighter for the Chicago Cubs, although I, I'm, I'm expecting to see more new players enter the organization by August 2nd, that trading deadline. And you wonder if one of those players going somewhere else and bringing in some prospects in return will be Kyle Hendricks. Kyle Hendricks had something to say about how uh, all of this is being handled and managed and the effect it is having on him. And that gives us an opportunity to go back to one of our favorite segments when we come back. Should he stay or should he go? We'll ask the question next. It's Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. As the MLB trade deadline approaches, both sides of town have some decisions to make. So... Who should stay and who should go? Should I stay or should I go now? With Bruce Levine and David Haw on Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score. Welcome back. Yeah, should he stay or should he go now? And that's a question people have been wondering about several members of the Chicago Cubs, especially the veterans, especially guys like Wilson Contreras, Ian Happ. But today, today... We zero in on Kyle Hendricks, who had a very enlightening conversation pregame this week earlier 
on Wednesday, I believe it was, with Zach Zaidman when he was asked about his situation and he expressed confidence that the front office would do what was right. Yeah, 100%, man. I mean, number one is I have utmost trust in those guys, starting with Jed, of course, from the top. Um, they've seen it. They've been around so many winning cultures, winning teams. They're so good at what they do to start, you know, and this is just part of the game sometimes. It's You go through ups and downs. As the players here on the field, I kind of go back to what I was saying before. I mean, seeing these young pieces, man, and what we have, it's really reminiscent of kind of the 12, 13, 14, that run about right when, about when I got called up. So it's really it's a little bit of deja vu, seeing those things and those pieces, and that's just where we're at right now. David, uh, I think back to John Lester uh, being signed by the Cubs uh, in 2015, uh, the winter, or, or in 2014. Uh, right after Joe Madden was signed to manage the team, and the impact that that had, and uh, impact it had on younger pitchers like uh, Kyle Hendricks. Um, they had mostly a veteran pitcher throughout the, uh, the the time where they were competitive and won a World Series, but uh, the, the impact from Lackey and um, from Lester were, were, were big on uh, guys like Hendricks, and you wonder if keeping Hendricks for that reason not alone because he, he still is a, a very viable and uh, at, at many times still dominant pitcher. Um, you, you wonder if that is essential for the rebuild or at age 33 right now, uh, you get more for him uh, in the marketplace from a contender and you thank him for all the years, but you move on from uh, Hendricks. It's, it's not an easy answer, but I think if you are, in the stage of the rebuild right now, you, you have to weigh getting a blue chipper or two for Hendricks as opposed to keeping him around for uh, teaching the younger pitchers and still being there as a face of the pitching staff. That's uh, The scales are tipping up and back for me, David. It's not an easy answer. You're exactly right. And it's not an easy answer because of the method with which the Cubs are are going down this rebuilding path. It's not like it was. As much as Kyle Hendricks is right in terms of identifying similarities between the last time this happened in 13 and 14 and heading into 15, it's different, Bruce. We both know, everybody knows, because the Cubs are identifying pitching prospects around which to build. So when you have Keegan Thompson, when you have Justin Steele, when you have Alzali who's mending, and you have guys like that in your system, the Caleb Killians, of the world. I think it does matter. I think it does maybe give more significance to have a mentor type player in your rotation or pitcher in this case in Kyle Hendricks. He's not your ace. He is going to be as inconsistent as he even acknowledged. You know, his last two starts, he's given up two runs, two earned runs, and that's great because that's the guy we recognize, right? That's the guy who looks familiar. But he also has four starts this year where he's given up six or more runs. That's the guy you don't want. That's the guy you can't have. So I do, do think that there is a balance there, but it comes with just being honest with everybody, and I think he appreciates that. You cannot dismiss the value that he brings in the way that he approaches his job, the way that he watches the game, and the way that he imparts his wisdom to these other players who are at the core of this rebuild, the foundational pieces, if you will. So in that context, I don't think they should be in a rush to get rid of Kyle Hendricks, and I'm not sure they're going to get an offer that blows them away just because of that inconsistency, even though he is affordable two years 
left on his deal after this one, $30 million total commitment, Bruce. That makes him very tradable. It really does. And, uh, you know, you think of Kyle Hendricks and what he's done, and, and they signed him to that a contract that he was uh, amiable to. But it's, it's not an extraordinary contract by any means for a guy that can go into your rotation. Uh, you know, let's just look at uh, Boston, who is hoping to get Chris Sale back, okay, and has been struggling, you know, to uh, identify the starting pitchers. They're still starting Rich Hill, who's a great guy, but still, you know, at age 42 or 43, that tells you that's not necessarily a championship um, rotation at this point. So from the perspective of just looking across the dugouts, saying, well, Kyle Hendricks there, you know, I mean, uh, you can you can make a case for him at a lot of places at only $14 million a year. And I say that uh, knowing baseball terms, $14 million for a top three a starting pitcher, even if he's a four in a good rotation, is uh, really not a big deal for a team to take on. So from that perspective, I think teams are going to be watching close the next couple of starts. And, you know, if Hendricks brings back a top young player or two, I think you really have to consider it. Bruce, let me ask you this about the difference between this year approaching the trade deadline and last year when the, the purge of, of 2021 occurred. And I think that when they did that, they totally bottomed out and you get rid of the players they did and we don't need to revisit that. But it felt as if that when they did that, they were, I don't want to say desperate for, but committed to getting as many prospects in return and getting all the prospects. And this is the way that they were going to basically concede that they could not win any longer with that core. I yeah. Tell me the difference between last year and this year because I think that the answer also helps inform what they're going to do with Kyle Hendricks because I don't think they're at that stage and don't want to go down that deep again. Pitching, pitching, and more pitching. I think they define that. Uh, that has been their goal since they started this rebuild. Um, and it, you know, one caller, you know, chimed in about trading Darvish, and they didn't get much pitching. They got some some good position players in that deal. But the, the reality is is that you're trading a pitcher, one of the top pitchers over the last uh, seven or eight years in the National League. You have to get young pitching back. You have to get somebody that you can identify as a double-A pitcher that's on the rise or a uh, high draft pick that's playing at A ball somewhere that somebody doesn't want to part with but has a little depth in their organization at the lower levels. That's what you want to get back. Something that you say two years from now, three years from now, David, you know, hey, um, we had to trade Hendricks. Uh, it was the right time, and, and we're happy we did now because, you know, we have player X uh, as our number three starter in our rotation behind uh, Thompson and Steele. Uh, those are the type of things that you look at right now. You can be more defined. It's a very good question that you ask, and I think defining pitching is where the Cubs are at. The quickest way for a rebuild to uh, happen for a team and for a team to turn it around is to identify a lot of pitching and a lot of good pitching. And Kyle Hendricks, much like the crafty lefty that we often refer to in baseball, that ages fairly well. Kyle Hendricks, not being a velocity guy, might be a pitcher that ages fairly well. You don't know if this might be something he can get past. He's not going to be your ace anymore, but you wonder if he could be a very quality 
fourth or fifth starter with a guy that sets a good workmanlike example. Let's get out to the phone line, squeeze a quick one in before we break, Bruce. Rich is in Old Town. Good morning, Rich. Welcome to Inside the Clubhouse. Morning, guys. That's the topic I wanted to talk about. It seems apparent, and I don't agree with it, but it seems apparent that they're going to move Contreras. And when you talk about what kind of trade bait you can get, uh, and I think you guys are right, and Bruce is right about pitching. You need pitching. I would take a hard look at uh, Hendricks hasn't lost his fastball. He never had one, so he's going to be the same forever. And he's fine. He's not going to be your ace, but like you said, he could be in rotation for five more years. I think I think the guy you want to look at, and, and I appreciate your comments on that, why don't they move Stroman? I don't understand. If you're going to get young and get good and get a front-line pitcher, I would I would say he's a C-plus best, right? So why why keep him when you can move him? I also think they should keep Contreras. But to Bruce's point, how many catchers are around that can backfill Contreras once you lose him as an asset? Uh, right. They don't have great backup catchers. They're, they're adequate. But you really want to fill that hole again? I don't understand why they want to move Contreras. I would sign him. He's, he's only 30 or 31 to a four or five year deal and, and say, just keep on doing what you're doing. But Stroman, uh, I like your comments about him and, uh, and what do you get if you throw him in the mix, if you do trade Contreras? Thanks Rich. Appreciate the phone call. Bruce Stroman versus Hendricks. Well, look, um, Stroman, that's a bad position for the Cubs right now. The reason I say that is Stroman's been hurt. He hasn't pitched up to the caliber that he expects. The defense and some of his games has let him down, and it's impacted some of his starts. Um, keep in mind, the contract is $71 million, but he also can walk after next year. So uh, that, that, that looks, a team that's trading for him will say, all right, well, we have him for the rest of this year. He's going to help us win. But, you know, we, we might only have him for one more year, and that's it. And... Uh, you know, that might be good news or maybe not because it's, you know, it averages, you know, $23, 24000000 million a, a year overall. He's injured and inconsistent. That is not a time to trade a, a player when you're wanting to maximize the value in return. You'd be, you'd be selling low, and I don't know that you really can afford to do that or want to do that if you're Jed Hoyer. Kyle Hendricks, to some degree, you would be selling low as well which is something to consider when in, in the course of this, this conversation. But I, I, uh, I don't know if they're going to be motivated to deal either guy or get an offer that would make it worth it. We'll continue. There's, there's a month until the trade deadline. And the Wilson Contreras conversation, Bruce, that's ongoing. We will continue to explore those options. But we want to shift gears when we come back. There's one guy that is central uh, to the history of both teams that played yesterday at Wrigley Field. One guy who uh, is, means a lot to both organizations. We're going to debate who he me- meant more to. Theo Epstein, Red Sox, Cubs. When we come back, we'll discuss. It's inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Thanks for joining us on this Saturday morning. 
4th of July weekend and hope everyone is enjoying themselves. We recommend this if you're at uh, your lake house, if you are just in your backyard, if you're on the deck, get yourself a Chicago Sun-Times this morning. Ron Coomer is the cover on the cover of the Sun-Times. It is their usual Saturday sports uh, package, and Steve Greenberg did a phenomenal job of capturing the essence of Coom, everybody's friend and just a great guy. Goes deep into his past, into his neighborhood, and it is well-written, and it is well-deserved. And, Bruce, I enjoyed reading that story this morning, and I think everybody would. Ron Coomer, we are lucky to have him here at the score in the Cubs booth every single game. He'll be back at it today. But just a terrific story about a terrific guy. Well, when in the neighborhood of Coombs Corner Sports Grill, which is at 1225 East 9th Street in Lockport, I always stop in and uh, have a nice uh, meal and a beverage uh, because it, it's a great place. And it's, and it's all about the essence of uh, Ron Coomer, who is just one of the more, um, I, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's great to um, make uh, friends in sports when you cover them and when you work with them. And I work with, uh, with Zach and, uh, and Ron and Pat every day on the pregame show. But, uh, you know, uh, those friendships are, are more than just regular friends. And, and, and Ron is a, a special guy. And um, he, he's just... Uh, a unique person and a great broadcaster who uh, eventually, you know, replaced Keith Moreland in the booth, but uh, really replacing Ron Santo was the impossible job and he's done it seamlessly. He's as Chicago as you get when you talk, when you hear Ron Coomer doing a broadcast with Pat Hughes and Zach Zaidman, that's, that's a Chicago broadcast. You, you don't have to listen more than a couple minutes to know there's a Chicagoan sitting next to Pat Hughes and Woods Zaidman, and it's Ron Coomer. No doubt about it. And Coomer will be back in the booth with Pat and Zach tonight when the Cubs play the Red Sox 615 right here on the score. And, Bruce, the Red Sox being in town brings us to our next topic. And I really wanted to get your perspective on this just based on your experience and, and your relationships with the people involved. The Red Sox and and the Cubs have a lot of things in common. They're traditional teams. They, they play their games in, in, base, in neighborhoods, and the baseball park is at the center of those neighborhoods. And, and, and I just think that they also share a, a common, uh, commonality in that Theo Epstein is the guy credited with <laughs> saving both franchises or bringing them both titles, I think, ending curses, if you will, when the Red Sox won in 2004. It was the first time they had won a World Series championship since 1918. And we know what he did with the Cubs in 2016, ending that drought since 1908. And, Bruce, so I ask you this morning, 312-44-67-67, maybe you have an opinion as well. To whom did Theo mean more, the Red Sox or the Cubs, when you look at these two teams gathered today at Wrigley Field and these two organizations? Impossible answer. I, I just think he was uh, so impactful for both. From the perspective of the Cubs, you know, great trades, great free agent signings that one year. I mean, when you you have a free agent signing period where you get uh, Lackey uh, and um, Zobris after getting Lester in there, uh, 
those were the final pieces that that made you a contender, a champion. Uh, you know, it, it was all about, hey, we made the trades, you know, beforehand. We brought those players up. We built uh, off of uh, Rizzo and Bryant and our draft uh, with Schwarber as well. But uh, the, the main ingredients, you know, through trades and through um, free agency, uh, Hoyer and uh, Epstein did a, a fantastic job. And, and I, I just... People in Boston would say, you know, uh, you know, Theo, Theo will probably never be able to uh, buy a dinner again in, in either city, you know, because of what he what he meant here. Uh, regardless of how he left both franchises and where they left them, uh, he right. has he has that World Series and multiple ones with Boston to hang on to. So, from that perspective, I, I just think it's an impossible answer. It is. Maybe maybe it is. each city. David, and uh, I'll get your thoughts on it. Maybe each city feels the same way that uh, he was he was the uh, architect and he was the reason they won. Maybe we should ask which will be the first organization to to erect a statue to Theo Webstein, you know, the Red Sox or the Cubs. And there's plenty of room outside both ballparks. I, I do think that it is impossible to answer. That's why it's fun to consider. He brought the blueprint from Boston to Chicago, the Cubs. Uh, th- that's the best hire that Tom Ricketts ever made in finding ways to get him out of Boston and into Chicago, and the rest is literally history. So I look at it this way. It is impossible to answer, but I think he did a better job with the Red Sox because I think the sustained success that he always promises when he comes to a new organization, and in these cases the Red Sox and the Cubs, they were able to sustain it longer. So he might have done a better job for the Red Sox because of the two titles uh, than he did with the Cubs, even though he might have done a better job with the Red Sox. It might have been a more significant one with the Cubs because they were a national team with the uh, well-documented drought and going back to 1908. And still, you know, I I refer to it as the greatest sports story ever told because the Cubs winning the World Series – is commonly referred to that even outside of Chicago. So maybe the more significant accomplishment came with the Cubs, but the more successful tenure might have been with the Red Sox, and that might be splitting hairs, and I see you grimacing. But I do think that's probably the way I would look at it. I'll say one thing. The Red Sox were always expected to win. The Cubs were not. And I think the pushback that you get right now for uh, the Cubs and the Ricketts family and everything else is based on the fact that – he hired Epstein. Crane Kenny hired Epstein. Uh, they they brought him in here, and the expectations were, after they built this thing up, was, we are the Red Sox. We are the Yankees. We are the Dodgers. We expect to win every year, and uh, I, I think that pushback is great there because unfortunately the farm system wasn't up to what was expected of this organization and. Uh, you know, leaves everybody wanting a lot more at, at this particular point in time. That's their goal right now. If, if nobody, if people don't understand that, they should. That uh, sustaining a farm system with uh, players coming out, of, coming from there, that the next time they, they have those players coming in, that's the next time you're going to see uh, them spending 220 230 $240 million on a payroll. I want to get your thought on this before we break, Bruce, because it's an interesting question. We're not going to be able to answer the previous one, but the, the, the next one maybe. Which do you think is more likely for Theo Epstein, 
a third team where he will bring a championship to and and a city that may be asking this question, how is he meaning more to the New York Mets or whoever else, wherever he goes, the Phillies or name a team, will he mean more and win a third championship in his third act as an executive? Or is it more likely that he slides over to the commissioner's office and is the commissioner of baseball, which came to mind after reading a fine ESPN story on Marab Manfred earlier this week, where Manfred refers to Theo Epstein as a guy full of ideas that he is not only incorporating, but he wants to continue to, uh, to, to use him as a resource. Which is more likely? Um, more likely senator from uh, the state of New York. <laughs> uh, I think Theo, and, and again, Theo will, uh, is picking up his family and moving back out east uh, after 10 years here. So uh, thank you for being a great Chicagoan, Theo, and uh, happy trails. But, uh, you know, every time people talk about Theo, they say he's the smartest guy in the room. Well, he's also a guy that uh, is pretty heavily into politics. And, uh, you know, I, I would say that that's not all that far off. He's still a pretty young man. So when it comes to that, you know, I would say I would say his days as running a team probably over with. I mean, how can you accomplish more than he did? Right. He's going mm -hmm. to the Hall of Fame one way or the other. Um, you know, is he the next commissioner of baseball after Rob is done there or is he uh, senator or governor from the state that he lives in all those things are possible for theo epstein it's great to have options and one thing that we do know that wherever he goes he'll make an impact because two teams in town at wrigley field tonight are great examples of just the impact that theo epstein will have at whatever job that he does all right let's shift gears bruce when we come back the white Sox. a lot of conversation about their young players and the process, especially after the Lenin Sosa experiment. A lot of things, uh, a lot of questions about who else is in the pipeline. Will we will ask the White Sox assistant general manager in charge of player development, Chris Getz. He joins us next on Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.